<coughs> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. First Metrosec is providing this podcast as a general market commentary. Reference to any specific security, product, or entity do not constitute as an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed by the hosts are subject to change without notice and First Metrosec is under no obligation to update, amend, change, or correct any of the statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed. The statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view of First Metrosec. First Metrosec disclaims any liability arising from reliance on or reference to any information obtained in this podcast. You are listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast, where we feature timely and relevant discussions on the Philippine stock market and the economy in the hope of providing you investing and trading guidance. Here's your host, Royce Aguilar, from the Research Department at First MetroSec. So welcome to another episode of our uh, podcast in First Metro Securities. We have a special, we have a special guest. For today, but before we introduce him, let me introduce myself. I'm Royce Aguilar, a deputy head for retail research at First Metro Securities. And this is quite timely, right? Today we will discuss about the property sector. Before again, before we introduce our very special guest, let me share the performance of property stocks near to date until October 7, 2022. Right. So I will mention to you the top gainers and the underperformers. So I'll mention the only three positive names here to date in terms of share price. So first one being Primex, which gained by 18%, Santa Lucia Land, 5.2%, and Diamantislao, 0.3%. So those are the three gainers in the property index and the Philippine Stock Exchange. And then the top five underperformers, first one, Vistaland, down by 53%. Ayana Land, 36%. Maggie World, 36% also. And then Phil Invest Land, 30%. Right. So there are only three gainers in the property index year to date. So now, given that you have the overall picture of the property sector year to date, let's hope our guests can shed, shed some light, right? In terms of what's happening and then what's the outlook moving forward. So let me introduce our guests. So we have here David Lee Chu. The CEO of Lichu Property Consultants. So he has more than 27 years of expertise in real estate. So David is considered the leading commercial real estate broker in the Philippines and is behind the lease arrangement of more than 1 million square meters of office space and sold more than 2 billion US dollars in real estate, right? That's in dollars, guys. So without further ado, let me introduce to you David Lichu, CEO of Lichu Property Consultants, Inc. So hi, David. How are you? Rose, thank you very much for having me in your show. And thank you, First Metro Sec. All right. So we have, a lot, we have lots of questions for you because, you know, it's very important to shed some light in a lot of things about property. Because in property, we have residential, we have uh, office, we have retail. And a lot of those have been positive. There's also a lot of negatives. So, but first question, approximately 41 months since the COVID pandemic struck not only the local economy, but globally. So how would you evaluate now the ongoing economic, ongoing property 
recovery or rebound into Conte. Do you see any bright spot or do you see any difference in terms of trends from buyers, tenants, and or landlords pre and then post-pandemic? So that's the first question. Yeah. So I think the summary here is that the Philippine property sector has gracefully gone through COVID and the upper end of the market has performed the best. The lower end of the market, the bottom end of the market has performed the worst. You can say that COVID has really been more of a crisis of the middle class and the middle. Mm -hmm. And that's really, and you see that in job losses, you see that in wealth destruction all throughout the world. The upper end of the market, on the other hand, continue to appreciate in value. So everything from the middle, middle above appreciated in value through this crisis. And the best example I can give you is Punta Fuego. Punta Fuego has gone up 300% in value during these, these times. And the transaction volume there has been unlike we have ever seen in its 30 years of uh, existence. Next is uh, Ayala Alabang is up 60%. Forbes Park is up 5 6%. And Forbes Park is now a little over a billion pesos per transaction in just the land. And you'll, you'll most likely tear down the, the building. And then you've got all the condominium units still. So there, there are a few distressed transactions in the market, but predominantly the prices of capital values, so meaning sale prices of condominiums have held their ground. Very few have come down in price from acquisition cost. And brought and very few have come down from prices in 2019. So landlords have been, or unit owners have been quite resilient. And if they cannot get a deal that they like, they will try to hold on to the asset. And that's been the way since January 2020. The, and that's despite a contraction of 10% in 2020 in the economy. And that's despite a contraction, a massive contraction in rents. Rents have come down by half in many properties in Makati and BGC. It's gone down 50, 60% in the Bay Area. And yet property capital values continue to stay resilient. And if not resilient, it's even come up. I can only explain this in one of two ways. First is that this is a true testament of the savings rate of the Philippines. And second, this is a true declaration of the low debt levels in the private sector. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, David, for that. Actually, just yesterday, I listened to a podcast, but this is in American setting. But in terms of prices and sales activity, there's a certain divergence that like a lot of the certain prices in the U.S. have stayed resilient also. But sales activity have significantly slowed down, mainly because a lot of old homeowners are reluctant to sell. So that being said, in terms of sales activity, it slowed down a bit, but rents have remained high, right? It's something like that. But it's a good thing you also mentioned in terms of economics, that savings rate here in the Philippines have remained robust also. So thank you for, you know, shedding some light on that. So going specifically in residential, so we guess we have three sub-segments. So we have residential retail and the office. So let's start with residential. The sentiment for the residential sector here in the Philippines has been affected 
prior reports of sales cancellations, revenue reversals, given the challenging economic environment, which actually forced some buyers, mostly from the middle-income segment, to catch out their purchases, which is in line with what you said earlier. So the question is, with the rampant cancellations in the last two quarters, for us, at least in our, in our view, we're expecting inventory buildup. Do you think demand can catch up with inventory? Should we expect price pressures in the market due to high supply and limited demand affected by rising rates and the current economic conditions? So, yeah. Yes, because I think the cancellations are blown out of proportion. Okay. Yeah, there have been quite a number of cancellations since the had the height of the lockdown in 2020 and 2021, right? 2021 was a year of false starts, primarily because the government couldn't get the vaccines here. Mm-hmm. Remember that the vaccines were released in the world, in the West, in November. Yeah. And I said at that time, it should get here. I think, I think in August, in August 2020, I was saying that the vaccine should be out by November mm-hmm. and should get here in the Philippines by February. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, our the Department of Health kind of bungled that up. And so instead of arriving onshore Philippines in February, it arrived in August of 2021. Yeah. And those seven months were devastating for the economy. I mean, imagine what we're going through right now. The opening of the economy should have happened a year earlier, but it didn't yeah. because of these delays. Now, during that time, a lot of people got scared and said, okay, this looks like it's going to go longer, 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 longer. Let us cut. I lost my job. I lost my bonuses. I lost my stock market investments. I lost whatever, my business. And let's cut our cash outflows. And I, I guess that's what happened. From the company's perspective, from the developer's perspective, cancellations actually provided a bonus to developers because for three, four years, the buyers have already paid a at least 20% of the purchase price. Okay. And so they're more than happy to to accept those defaults. Okay. Wait for the legal law to expire, meaning this a process in which defaults are managed. And when they're able to flip it, they're flipping those properties. The developers are flipping those properties at much higher prices. Right. So it's not necessarily bad for the developer okay. that cancellations happen. And they're doing it at the time when the supply of new launches has been quite low. In fact, the last two years, the new launches of developers have been very, very, very low. All right. Thank you, uh, David, for that. So the next question is, I'm actually curious about this also because you know, a lot of colleagues and friends are asking that they're even open to the opportunity of no ways. They, they explain or telling stories if they, they want to build a house. Sabi nila like, outside Manila kasi mas calm, less traffic. So the question is, does Metro Manila still offer the highest upside for property investors or, or are there other opportunity or better opportunity elsewhere in the country? Well, Manila, the direct geography of Manila yeah. is responsible for almost 40% of the GNP of the Philippines. And because of that, the highest salaries, the most cool people, the most nouveau of products are always going to emerge in Philippines. The greatest ideas, 
the best schools are predominantly found in Manila. And so urbanization and community development starts with that, with ideas and the people who generate these ideas and how easily it is to access capital, how easy it is it to access more labor, qualified labor, and it will take time for that to change. In the same way that New York and San Francisco, despite so many other states, continue to be the home of global capital and global ideas, global innovation, global technology. However, work from home has really accelerated, has really come at a good time. Work from home has been allowed because of two things. Well, three things. COVID forced us to do it. Okay. Number two, technology allowed us to do it. And number three, I think the townships are now available in the Philippines, where at the time when, and this is the fourth element, wealth has really come up in the Philippines. If you look at the last 20 years, per capita income has doubled in the Philippines. And and so COVID hit us at a time when we have been the richest we've ever been in our Philippine history in 2019. And that allowed people, a lot more people, to move out of the city. It allowed people to have better accommodations outside the city. I mean, there are people who have totally given up their apartment in Makati to live two, three years in Boracay. And they're not living in fancy places in Boracay. They're living in very modest places in Boracay, but very decent places in Barajas. It's not like a homeless shelter that they're staying in. They're living in pretty robust accommodations in Barajas and, and many other islands. So I think my point, my point being that it will take time and the other townships that we are building and the Philippines is right now building 153 townships all over the Philippines. Mm-hmm. That is equivalent to three times the size of Metro Manila. Mm-hmm. As far north as Lawag to as far south as uh, General South and Zamboanga. And this will be the new home of Philippines. And as Philippines increases in wealth, more and more of these properties are going to be populated and developed. The best example I can give you is Cavite and Laguna. Prior to 2016, the only people acquiring land in Cavite and Laguna are the ones who want cheap warehousing or low-cost housing. And today, because of all the new roads and the new wealth, the middle class is actually spilling over to Cavite and Laguna. And you see that in many projects from Ayala Greenfield to, to the Greenfield District in Santa Rosa to New Valley, again in Santa Rosa. But you know, you've got Rockwell, you've got Santa Elena and the high-end market. So you've got quite a number of unprecedented assets that are now being developed into communities. I mean, it took New Valley and West Grove 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it was launched 20 years ago. People bought 20 years ago, but they didn't build houses until maybe the last five years. Yeah. So it's only now that the community is really building after 15 years or 20 years. And that timeline is going to become shorter and shorter. Instead of building communities in these villages within a 20-year life cycle, you're going to see that happen in maybe eight years to 10 years life cycle. All right. So thank you, thank you, David, for that. So the, I mean, of course, in the short term, we're seeing 
sales cancellations, but in the long term, you're seeing a lot of cities outside Manila showing signs of growth, right? Especially in just the recent years. So that's, that's, that's good news. So moving on to another segment under the property sector, retail. So for the listed companies in the Philippines, obviously, the drop in residential revenues were significantly upset by strong recovery, models and models. Some mall operators even claimed that they were, in terms of capacity, not, not only capacity, but in terms of sales, it's already near pre-COVID already, pre-COVID levels already, some claim to have exceeded, especially during weekends. So in your own research, do you confirm these findings? That's the first part of the question. Second part is, is the rapid growth of online shopping a threat to the brick and mortar stores? And of course, we have this Filipino more going culture. Will that be a threat given the rapid growth of online shopping or will they, be, will they grow together? So let's start with those two part questions. So yes, retail has been climbing steadily out of the COVID hole for the last, I'd say, 12 months. So all throughout COVID, I have been sneaking in and out into the malls, different malls, not just one mall, not just my regular neighborhood mall, but I have been going in and out of a number of malls from as far out as Novaliches to, to Nasubu to Lahore to, you know, what does Mega Mall look like today in a lockdown? What does, Meg- what does Mall of Asia look like? What does Rockwell look like? I mean, I have been purposely going to the malls, not to go shopping or to eat, but to just take a temperature check. I mean, there are times when I was going through the, the roads and I was the only car on the road. Yeah. You know, I was maybe one of 10, 12 people walking through the mall. This really zombie land at that time. So yes, I can. And, and all throughout these last 40 months, I've been trying to get a direct first-hand on the ground feel of how these malls are doing vis-a-vis what I read in the media mm-hmm. or see in the media. And I'm, I'm happy to say that what I've learned is during COVID, the ones who go to the malls are the serious buyers, the very clear intent. Yeah. People who walk through the mall with very clear intent. Okay. They're going to go there. They're going to take their stuff, buy their stuff, which they've already pre-ordered. Mm-hmm. They're going to pick it up, pay it, and then leave. That's it. So these it's like Paseo mall goers, the ones who just make the aircon <laughs> or make the coffee. All those guys disappeared, right? They all stayed home or went somewhere else. But I'm happy to say that the malls supported their tenants mm-hmm. yeah. in terms of, you know, trying to help them survive. And that's what allowed the malls to kind of adapt very quickly to the shift when we went from lockdown to like, let's open the economy up. And that's what allowed many of the retailers to go and say, okay, let's go open up. It was hard in the beginning because, because you know, the restaurant industry, the food and beverage industry were the hardest hit people. And they had to let go of people during all this time. And so they had to go through a new recruitment campaign, new retraining campaign to be able to get people back on store. And I'm, I'm happy to say that the labor market responded quite well. There's no such thing as like the great resignation <laughs> that the U.S. is going through applied here in the Philippines. And so, 
you ask yourself during all this time, how has online retail impacted the retail sector? I think the overall online retail sector has done extremely well. The online platforms have done extremely well. It made up for the lack of, for the absence of, of real shopping. And utilitarian shopping, utilitarian shopping means like, you know, you need, you need sugar. It doesn't really mean, doesn't really matter what kind of sugar brand you take as long as you get sugar. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what kind of apples you take, you know, just send them over and I'll, you know, it's okay. Notebook, scratch pad, ball pens, whatever. And that's done really well. And the best testament to that is you see all the online companies taking massive amounts of warehouse space. Massive amounts of office space okay. during the last 24, 30 months. They actually, the online retail companies like Shopee, Lazada, Zalora, Amazon, Grab, Lalamove, all these companies, Food Panda, all these companies took a lot of warehouses, a lot of dark spaces, and expanded their footprint in the office space by as much as 2x, okay. sometimes 3x. And that was kind of refreshing. However, the online retail presence is still 2% of total transactions okay. all in the market. It's going to take a while for online retail to kind of overtake brick and mortar retail, unlike what's happening in the US. I mean, in the US, in Canada, in Japan, these are overmold countries that are heavily dependent on tourism shopping driving the activity in these falls mm -hmm. we, we, we don't have that yet we're not at that point yet okay so is it so safe to say uh, in your point of view this uh pent up demand we're seeing this event shopping we're seeing is sustainable you know despite the uh economic conditions yeah i mean i i'm i'm unfortunate to be friends to like five of the biggest retailers in the philippines and They've all said the same thing. As much as they keep pushing online retail through IG and whatever social media platforms, all the promos, all the celebrities that they use to promote IG products, they keep saying that it's, you know, the sales volume in these categories have moved from 0.001 to 1%. But yeah, it, it's moved a lot, but the scale of it is still very small. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that data. This now, okay, we're done with uh, residential. We're done with retail. Now let's move on to the office sector. And this is, this has been in the news for quite some time already. So let's slice it into two, right? So we have Pogos and then BPOs. Let's talk about Pogos first, the Philippine offshore gaming operators. Can you discuss us the industry's broader impact? To the economy. We actually saw your report, right? You can correct us if we're wrong. So Pogos currently occupy around 1.05 million square meters of office space. That's, That's correct. Down from a high of 1.6 million square meters in 2019. 1.75. All right. So the question is, how would an abrupt exit of all remaining Pogo spaces impact the Philippine economy? So please go ahead. Yeah, it will have a meaningful impact to the economy and it will be negative. Mm -hmm. I think as of this point today in this interview, I have attended two Senate hearings okay. specifically about 
Google. And I think I, I commend the senators that we have in the Philippines. We're quite fortunate to have these very competent people trying to evaluate the benefits of having Pogo or not. And I think shutting them down today will have a very negative and meaningful impact to the economy because a lot of people underestimate the, the contributions of this one sector to the economy. It is the fastest growing office demand driver since it came to it went on hyper expansion in 2017. No other industry consumed office space and expanded its presence in this economy the way this has. I mean, it took the BPO sector 12 years to get to the scale that the Pogo sector did in four years. Second, they don't just occupy office space. They don't just pay back. They don't on everything that they do, but they are a meaningful demand driver for residential property. They bring in a massive amount of foreigners that become hustlers in this economy. You know, I mean, many of the employees here don't just work a job. You know, they become sideline entrepreneurs also. So they open up everything from trading companies to tech companies, brokerage companies, furniture companies. I don't know. They always try to do a hustle. And I like that because it brings a certain level of entrepreneurship that hopefully some of us will pick up. It brings a level of work ethic that is not found or is very rare in the Philippines. For example, uh, I mean, I talk to a lot of foreigners, right, all, of all kinds. And the one thing they love about the Philippines is it's so chill. <laughs> okay. Everyone is so chill, right? But what many people, I'm not saying all people, but what many people don't like about Philippines work ethic is that most people in the Philippines workplace are also so chill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, Sigar, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yes, I'll get it to you at 4 p.m. on a Friday. And a Saturday will happen. You know, everything's so chill. <laughs> I mean, you compare that to like when people say, I'm going to be here at 9.05 or the train is arriving at 1.07. Yeah. You know, the train really arrives at 1.07. Correct. And when there are deadlines, people respect it. So the work ethic of these people from abroad coming here will teach us something and it will be positive. So I guess the long and short of it is that Shutting them down will mean a lot of people will become jobless. My estimate is about 200,000 people. Wow, okay. A lot of office space will be vacated, about 1 million square meters. A lot of residential space will be vacated, about 2 million square meters. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? That means that rents in both the office and residential sector in places where the Pogo sector is quite prominently placed will be falling meaningfully. And by that, I mean, they'll probably fall 50%. So right now, the Bay Area would be at 700 deaths per square meter today. And that's going to come down to 350, 400 if they leave abruptly. Makati Pogo space, so I'm not saying all space, but Makati Pogo space will have to be rented out for, I don't know, 500 vessels per square from 1,000 vessels. Okay. 
and so on and so forth. So I think particularly the geographies of the Bay, Makati, Cavite, Ortigas, and Alabang would be hit the hardest. And that's where you will see 50% rents. Bonifacio and, and Core Makati mm-hmm. will probably be indifferent. In fact, Core Makati and Bonifacio, it's on its way to a strong recovery because during this last three years, the demand in Makati, for Makati and Bonifacio office space has been the strongest. Makati would have absorbed the most amount of tenants that have been transacted in the last 30 months. It also has been the lowest contraction of tenants you've seen in the Philippines. Thank you. Thank you, David, for that. So that's a, a, significant, that's a significant drop in terms of the impact of the power industry. So this is something interesting to watch out for in terms of how the government will go about this in the next months or year, right? So next for the BPO. So yeah, you mentioned that the BPO sector achieved twelve years the Pogo achieved all only four years. So the ITBM sector is currently the country's largest employer. So it accounts for approximately one point four million jobs. So the IT and Business Process Association of the Philippines said that in twenty twenty one alone, hundred twenty thousand jobs were created in this sector. So this is the second highest annual number of jobs created since the inception of the BPO industry in the country. So the question is, this industry is expected to pick up the slack in the office spaces, especially what with, what's happening in the Pogo sector. Will it be enough, though, to offset the exodus of the Pogo? And that's the first part. Second is, in the office sector as a whole, should we be concerned of this work from home trend and how it will impact the office spaces sector moving forward? Okay, so first is that Despite COVID, despite work from home, despite lockdowns, despite everything, today we are net positive. Okay. Net positive. And if you just isolate, if you remove the equation of the Pogo sector, we are meaningfully positive in the office segment. Mm-hmm. If you factor in the Pogo impact to the numbers, you will still see a net positive trend, meaning we are still taking more space. We are st- still leasing more space throughout the country than we are giving up space. That's despite companies contracting. That's despite bogus contracting. That's despite lockdowns. That's despite work from home. Now, I think the BPO sector has been growing very fast. Thank God that they're here. We are so lucky to be one of very few countries that continue to expand the jobs and the office take up throughout COVID crisis. Very few countries are enjoying this privilege. Most countries are contracting and they are about to enter a property crisis. We are still, I think, quite far from it. Now, is the BPO sector going to be enough to offset the loss in Pogo office space? No, it won't be. It will be over time, but today there's Three million square meters of vacant office space throughout the country. Three million. And as of this year, 2022, first three quarters, 700,000 square meters of new leasing happened. So there's still three years worth of supply out there easily. If you pull out from the Pogo sector abruptly, you're going to add another million square meters, which would mean 
another four and a half years of supply versus the demand today. Now, where will demand be for full year 2022? I think it will be somewhere around plus or minus 800,000 square meters. Okay. Somewhere around there could be 780, could be 850,000, but that's probably going to be the biggest number we have seen without the Pogo sector. So that's good. And why is that? Because the BPO sector continued to grow and it grew on back of the global COVID crisis. So it goes back to our thesis that we've been saying since 2006, that the more the world goes into crisis, the more jobs will be generated by the West in the Philippines and in India. Yeah. So, so the second part, thank you for that. So second, second part of the question, should the work from home trend, how is it, is it worrisome for the office sector or is it a short term thing? So not yet. It's not worrisome yet. Okay. Because what happened? Why haven't tenants in the BPO and corporates given up space meaningfully, despite all the talk about the success of work from home? Well, I think because one, the BPO sector hired so many people that the seats that became redundant in the office now had been backfilled by all the new hires. So in 2020 and 2021, in 2020 and 2021, the BPO sector hired about 150,000 new jobs. They created 150,000 new jobs. And a big portion of that worked from home. But they also are transitioning from work from home to balance things out from 90% work from home to about 50-50 work from home on average. That movement of bringing 90% work from home and reducing that to 50%, that movement, that delta is finding its way to backfilling the vacant space in their office. Yeah, And that's what also is keeping the office sector kind of in the very good tranquil situation it's in today. Now, I believe that work from home will convert to work near home. Okay. Companies will say, you know what, long term, I think it's not good for employees talaga to stay home forever. Understood. Yeah. So we have to find a hybrid solution. And I think the hybrid solution is that companies will just have more branch offices, right. smaller offices, but closer to where their workforce lives. So if I'm a company employing 50,000 people, how much of my population live in Cavite? And most likely, if 20, 30% of my employees live in Cavite, that means that I have two to 3,000 people of my employees living in Cavite. Okay. I will take smaller offices in Cavite. And instead of one big office in Cavite, I will have four small offices in Cavite that will be small closer to where my workplace comes from. All right. Workforce rather comes from. Yeah. That that's actually like the first time I've heard of that kind of solution. So it actually makes a lot of sense. An interesting uh, direction moving forward. So actually I forgot to mention about this. This is actually the last segment of the of the property that we'd like to talk about. This is industrial. Industrial you've seen a lot of growth on this one, especially the the emergence of you know, cold storage, data centers. 
So just to mention some data on it. So in, in the first half of 2021, industrial vacancy in Cavite, Laguna, Batangas, Corridor slid marginally to 5.6% from 5.7% in the second half of 2020 because of the increased demand for warehouse and storage space among e-commerce and FMCG firms as online shopping continues to grow. Year to date, though, there was a marginal increase in vacancy because of PESA enterpri- registered enterprises did not renew their contracts. Nevertheless, a lot of areas remain untapped by industrial centers and warehouses. And like I've said, personally, I'm hearing a lot of data centers and cold storage being built. The question is, how and where can developers further capture the rising opportunities in the industrial sector? So that's a, quite a general question. So go ahead. Yes. So more roads being built means more access to land that were inaccessible before. And this goes the same for the industrial sector, where a lot of land that used to be idle farmland is now going to be opened up for industrial use. I think a lot of this demand for industrial is driven by the industrial operators moving out of Metro Manila because they have to give way to condominium projects. The best example is Chino Roses and Pasong Tamo Extension. That used to be home for a number of factories, a number of logistics areas, a number of warehouses, and that's being transformed to high-rise office and residential projects. Pioneer Street in Maldaluyo, same thing, Sheridan Street, that full complex is now transformed into a mid-end residential community. And South Superhighway, the side entrances from, or what, what should I say, service road, all across East and West Service Road and South, South Fisher Expressway, giving way from factories and warehouses to residential development. So I think that's pretty, pretty good. And I think that trend will continue. Now, I think the factories will have to be pushed further out into Cavite and Quezon because in remote areas of Cavite and Quezon and Batangas, because of this spillover of the middle class out of Manila into what we call Mega Manila, which are the neighboring provinces like Bulacan and Cavite. Thank you, uh, David, for that. Uh, this is a sector that you know uh, I've been eating about and. A lot of listed companies are also venturing into this warehouse called storage and the like. So that actually, you know, ends the, our discussion with the sector. So again, thank you, David. Any parting words or general recommendation for property investors out there, both to those already investing and those just looking to buy their first property. So any recommendations to them? Go ahead. There's a saying that uh, what should not waste a good crisis. Okay. And so I think I would encourage investors to keep looking for deals and there will be deals out there. There's more flexibility right now between sellers and buyers, more flexibility with developers as they try to move inventory out. Okay. And so the payment terms have been some of the best you've seen in last 15 years. And I would encourage people to take advantage of that. There's a lot of uncertainty. And so I would always say proceed with caution. Please make sure that you do not increase your debt too much. Mm -hmm. Do not uh, rack up too much debt. And you have to take advantage of this crisis. 
Yeah, thank you very much. Take advantage of the crisis. A good advice for everyone here, right? So again, thank you, David Lichu, CEO of Lichu Property Consultants. A very special guest in a timely one, I must say. So thank you again. This ends our podcast episode. I'm Roy Aguilar, Deputy Head for Utility Research at First Metro Securities. And First Metro Securities is hashtag your future first. So thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to follow us to get first dibs on our new episodes. For more up-to-date market news and info, exclusive content, and the opportunity to connect with your fellow Filipino investors and traders, join facebook.com slash groups slash First MetroSec and be part of the First MetroSec family. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.